Casalita Stories and Casita Chronicles. This is Bianca. And this is Hasmin. And today we're coming back with another episode. And we have another special guest for this one. We're talking with Dr. Zuli Rivera Ramos. So we're going to go ahead and pass it over. So hi, Zuli. How are you? And maybe introduce yourself to our listeners. I'm excited to be here. And as you said, my name is Zuli. You can go by my first name, or if you want to add doctor to the equation, then Dr. Suli works fine. I work at the Counseling and Wellness Center as a psychologist, and part of the main services that I offer is working with the Latinx community. It's a big part of it through counseling, outreach, group counseling, also intersecting with concerns related to sexual orientation and gender identity. The other things that I support in terms of services that we offer at the, at the center is training doctoral and master level students in counseling psychology and mental health counseling to provide services to multicultural communities. This is an area that is really close to my heart and that I'm really excited to be sharing some of my understandings with you all. Awesome. We love having the opportunity to talk with you today. You know, we've always enjoyed collaborating and working with you in the past. So we were excited that you were able to join us today. And especially talking about something that is always important and always prevalent. But I think especially with kind of, you know, current situations, a lot of things are going on. People are home. Some people may be where they weren't planning on being this summer. And so we're going to be talking a little bit more about, you know, mental health and wellness and discussing, you know, particularly within the Latinx community, how there are some stigmas for different things, but then also discussing about acknowledging where we are and how to reach out and also like forms of self-care, which I think is something that could be useful no matter where you are or what you're doing in life or what stage, but especially as we try to navigate a lot of things going on and things are unexpected. So we're going to go ahead and dive a little bit into mental health and mental wellness in the Latinx community. There could be a lot of variety depending on background, even from family to family. We don't want to generalize too much, but when you kind of look at media or just different people talking about it um, on different platforms, there usually is this discussion that kind of focuses on the presence of some stigma relating to talking about it, relating to treatments, and just like different things with mental health. We could go ahead and dive a little bit into that. What are your thoughts on that topic? So I have many thoughts on that. The first thing that I want to say is Latinx people represent over 18% of the U.S. population. And in surveys that have been done with the community, the estimation is that about 16% of Latinx people experience some kind of mental health concern. Whether it has been diagnosed or not, it, could, it is another question, but that's the number of people who have expressed having related concerns. If we think about that in numbers, that's about 10 million people, which is more than the number of people that live in New York City. So we're talking about a significant number of our population, of our communities who experience mental health concerns. The reason why I think it's important to say that is there is a belief that relates to the stigma that mental health concerns or seeking help for mental health concerns is a thing that is for white people from an Eurocentric perspective. And while psychology does have an Eurocentric background, there has been, since the mid of last century, there has been 
more integration of cultural approaches to the process of counseling and psychology. That does take into account cultural factors with serving communities that are underserved or marginalized. The challenge within the Latinx community in particular is that unfortunately, when people experience mental health concerns, they tend to see it as something that is related potentially to medical or physical ailments, sometimes even spiritual concerns rather than mental or emotional health related. That turns out to be that one in five Latinx people tend to reach out to a physician for support related to mental health. And only one in 10 Latinx people reach out to mental health providers. The challenge is that there's also barriers to care and health disparities that contribute and enable these attitudes to continue and that then become very damaging to the population as a whole. Recent research, although there needs to be more research, there is still a gap in research with this, but recent research suggests that people within the Latinx community, primarily older people, are the ones who tend to have more stigma about mental health, and then there's more mixed attitudes, beliefs, and thoughts within the younger generation, which if we think about the college context, then there's going to be more mixed experiences and understandings there than potentially a community population. One of the big things related to these stigma, it's also vergüenza, like shame and embarrassment of mental health concerns and seeing mental health concerns as something that belongs within the family. And that even though it belongs within the family, then it's also not talked about. So it's seen as a taboo, even though family members may know about another person who has mental health concerns and it may be common knowledge within the family is still something that people may not talk about. And one of the downsides of that is that then the person who is taking care or supporting more directly the person with mental health concerns may not be able to receive the support that they need in order to be able to provide that care. It can become challenging very easily. The other thing is that people tend to also normalize it under the idea of estrés or los nervios. And there's even research that talks about particular experience within the Latinx community. And it was first found within the Caribbean community, specifically with Puerto Ricans, but then extended to other Caribbean groups that it's called ataque de nervios. And it's something that it's similar to panic attacks, but has some cultural nuances that are different from how panic attacks are described. So common among Spanish-speaking people primarily, and it can include shouting uncontrollably, having crying spells, trembling, becoming very agitated verbally, and sometimes even physically. Some people also may experience some dissociation from the event and not remember that they had that episode and also experience things that look like seizure. The challenging part of it is also that then in the moment that it happens, which it can be unexpected, then it also, the person can recuperate very quickly and come back to their typical functioning. So those are types of symptoms that have been identified to be 
more common within the Latinx community. So there's something culturally about who we are that also intersects with mental health and the way that we express distress. That, that is different from what it's understood typically. And with Ataque de Nervios, it's the idea, the, the focus there is a sense of lacking control and feeling that what is out of control as part of the episode that people experience. Really well, and that even sounds like in las novelas, when somebody's going through it, y que están gritando, crying spells, that's kind of been normalized as that that's how we are as Latinos. Like, we're loud, we're exuberant. Does that contribute to it sometimes being mixed up as, instead of thinking of it as like you're having a mental health episode, so like ataque de nervios, that you're just being extra? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's one of the challenges that because it's something, a typical behavior that we may see, we may be used to it and just say, oh, that's how they are. They are, they usually do that and then don't make the connection that hmm, maybe they, they need some support that I cannot offer as a family member or as a friend because it goes beyond the way that they interact. And then there, there's the disparity there where the person is not able to receive the services because they may also not that it may be related to a mental health concern. So yeah, that's one of the challenges. Or else they get deemed as like, son los locos de la familia. Like, es la tía loca or el tío loco. Oh my gosh, wow. Earlier you mentioned the phrase like mental health concerns. And so kind of how big does that range? What could be maybe like from something that's very menial to something like very duro, very hard? You mean like how... Can people identify whether it's mental health concerns that are typical of a distressing event compared to when, when they would be encouraged to seek support for mental health? Yes. The way that I try to talk about this is to examine functioning and daily behaviors, routines, things like that. In terms of if you notice that the distress that you're experiencing is interfering and you cannot do X, Y, and Z that you would have been typically able to do for a period of time, then that should be a red flag that maybe I need support because I've been trying on my own to just continue life as I have been doing it and knowing it for so long. And then all of a sudden I realize I'm not able to do that. So I think that, that the functioning, the daily functioning is, is key in terms of identifying maybe it's time for me to seek support. Sometimes it's also helpful to, if someone has close people with whom they talk about more in-depth concerns, it could be helpful to check in with someone else if they're unsure and certain. Also search online about some resources with us at the Counseling and Wellness Center, we created intentionally our webpage to not only be information about who we are and about the services that we offer, but then also have some sections for self-help so that people can find resources that they can use themselves, but then also better understand maybe what I have or what I need is more than I, that what I can provide to myself. I think that's a really important, that was a good question, Bianca, because I think that's like an important topic because I feel like what you were saying earlier with like, you know, like there's, there's a difference between how older generations view 
mental wellness, wellness and younger generations. But, you know, growing up, you pick up on things from, you know, your abuelos, your parents, your tios, tias, and different attitudes. And I think sometimes, at least like with, within my family, and we're Mexican, and, you know, we're all raised really close together. Something that growing up was very much stressed was like, you push through, you know, like if you face challenges, you just got to like kind of buckle down and you just got to push through until you reach the end, which is good, you know, and, it, and it's a helpful mindset for different things. But then there's other times, like you said, you have to check in and be like, am I truly able to help myself? Look at the functioning, look at the day to day, because I think sometimes people try, try to push through or you know, they, they're talking to their family and maybe their family like, oh, well, you know, like, I'll pray for you. You're, you're going to be in my thoughts. you'll you'll make it through for some people depending on what it is like depression if something that's a little more to where it is highly impacting your day-to-day and it's hard I think that's where then you have to also reflect like you were saying on other things that that could help you because in the end you you want to make it through and achieve you know whatever it is maybe for your goals but kind of looking outside of just that family unit at times, being open to the different resources. So college campuses, students that come here, like there's counseling, wellness centers, very much there are a lot more resources available to like college students. When they're here, if they are facing those feelings, especially if it may be feelings as a, like a freshman student, feeling that they're not used to dealing with before, dealing outside of a context of like being back home with their family, especially if like you're, they're far away or they don't really know a lot of people here. So I think that was a really key part because I'm thinking back to, to, you know, when I was a freshman, I'm just like some of my friends and some of the things that we kind of navigated in that first year. A lot of the times it was very much like, I know there's these things that I could use, these these people that are, are there to talk to me, but like, when is it, what if I go in and they're like, oh, you're like, okay, you really didn't, didn't need to do this versus, versus maybe I should go reach out and see what's available to me. And I think too, people are going to seek help for different things. And I think sometimes we tend to compare whatever we might be going through to somebody else and then be like, okay, well, if they're doing okay, I should be doing okay too. But I think that it's okay to not compare yourself to somebody else and your experience and say like, okay, maybe I do need to go talk to somebody about this just to get an outside perspective. Porque rather be safe than sorry. But then also you don't know what somebody else has in terms of opportunities, whereas you might not have that and it's just going to impact you a lot differently. Yeah, and I think that part of the problem is that this idea of you have to push through it and even sometimes referencing that our ancestors or uh, the migration experiences of our family members were harder than whatever we are experiencing gives the sense that then inherent you need to be strong and if you're strong, then you can get over it. And what that does is that then it values help seeking as something that represents a weakness in the person, rather than seeing as part seeing that as part of human experience. At the core of it, we're social beings. And even when we think about the Latinx community and how important family is and that we are a collectivist culture, that is honoring and representing how important we are to each other that we are not seen as individuals, as single people. It's interesting to me that that idea of weakness comes out in the sense of seeking help when that's also part of how the idea of family is and the importance of family is presented 
presented to us culturally. And the challenge is that because of that, then it turns out that when people within the Latinx community decide to finally reach out for support to see a professional, it's usually when their concerns are acute because one, they might have been neglecting the concerns or, or thinking there's nothing wrong with me or hearing from others that there's nothing wrong or that they need to push through. But then also kind of going along with the example that Hasmin was talking about that maybe they question, maybe this is not too much of an issue. I should not go, the services should be for someone else. And then what it does is that it exacerbates the concerns then that people had with, which could have been addressed maybe with a few sessions or with some workshops or something that didn't need some, some intense treatment. And then now it's bigger and needs more support that sometimes then even could be beyond of the scope of what we could offer at the Counseling and Wellness Center, which becomes an additional challenge for all parties. Isn't depression like that? The sooner you start getting, getting treated for depression, then the easier it is to kind of treat it and then be able to kind of like come back from it completely. Yeah, it's like that, I would say for most of mental health concerns. The earlier that you're able to work through them, the more you're going to be able to manage it. And some even to the point of it being an episode versus something that is going to be with you for the rest of your life. So it depends on the level of acuity when you seek support. It's very important to address prognosis support and and re reaching out for help isn't isn't a weakness is a part of that that process of addressing and um, learning the ways to help yourself which and you know I think the culture and within family too the idea of being strong as Uli said before is related to resilience I, I want to say that a lot of times when we look back at if you ask someone like what did you learn for your family like a lot of people maybe say like work ethic, this, that, but I think resilience is also a common theme, I would say, kind of relating to Zuli too, like when you look at the past, which could be dangerous when you start comparing, like Bianca was saying, um, the experiences, whether it's of like your your grandparents or, you know, people who immigrated, if you, if that's part of your family history, the, the resilience of your ancestors in order for you to be where you are, but I think it's part of that part of changing the narrative of that resilience includes knowing when to reach out for help. And that's a strength in being able to know yourself and caring enough and respecting yourself enough to then do what you need to do in order to make sure that you are taking care of yourself in all, you know, ways, whether that's physically, I think a lot of times, you know, that's a little easier sometimes to have conversations about like, oh, like eat healthy, let's go for a walk or, you know, if something's hurting you or also remedies. I think that's something too, like if your stomach hurts or something like, oh, drink this tea, da, da, da. This, is, this is, you know, within the family, but having discussions too about things like stress, because like you said, a lot of times like those nervios, the stress is like, is what's getting you, but sometimes having the words, a name for something past that that's a little bit more specific could help start those conversations so I think kind of informing ourselves a little bit and also having those conversations if it's something that will help you with like your family could also be beneficial overall yeah and you're bringing an important point because you're talking about self-care and 
that is super important as a way to build resiliency because if you're overstretching yourself and just giving on to others or just trying to pull through difficulties without taking moments where you can recharge, that can be damaging for yourself. When, when we think about self-care, it's basically intentionally taking care of yourself. It's not something that happens automatic, but something that you decide, yes, I am as important as my loved ones. And therefore, I need to care for myself the same way that I do for my loved ones. The challenge sometimes within the Latinx community is that the idea of self-care may be seen in conflict with our family-centered and collectivist culture because people may perceive it as it being selfish when in reality, if you do not feed yourself, if you do not feel your own like inner vase, right? You cannot pour yourself onto others. You cannot give to others what you don't have. So it is in order for you to fulfill the value of family and how important it is to be of support to your loved ones, it's important to also take care of your own self in the same way and at the same level that you do to others so that you have the energy, the inner strength, and the love also to share with other people. And sometimes, I mean, we love our families, but sometimes they can be toxic. And the things that they teach us are these like toxic teachings that don't kind of help. I think of the notion of self-care, you know, you're also thought of as lazy. Why are you laying around? Why aren't you helping around the house? Why aren't you helping do this, do that? You're being lazy. But really, sometimes you just need kind of that break of like, no, I need to relax. And I saw something recently, too, that was like our ancestors did have to work really hard and they barely got to rest. That you resting is like an act of resistance. And so sometimes like holding space for acknowledging just like what your needs are to then, like Zuli said, to be able to contribute to the family unit. Yeah, and that's very important what you just said in terms of resilience as resistance. And I think an important component of that is thinking about the idea of intergenerational trauma, that not because I didn't experience it firsthand doesn't mean that it doesn't impact me because it's part of the family narrative of us knowing what it means to exist in this space. And that has impact in how we see ourselves, in the experiences that we have, in how we see the world. In a way, resisting to resiliency and through self-care is a way of acknowledging that intergenerational trauma. And then the other side of it is that there may be some people who also may feel guilty, similar to the experience of survival guilt, like why am I here? Why am I having, having these privileges or experiences of growth, of movement, of social movement, and my family members did not. And experiencing a higher sense of burden because then their achievement or what they're working on is not only about them as an individual, but then also about the family and what meaning that will bring to the family. So being able to hold all of those things, all of those complexities happening at once to normalize, validate, and then also further help build resilience is gonna be very important when working with Latinx communities so that the person feels that they are being supported rather than feeling that they're being judged or othered 
within the Latinx culture, but that there's some honoring that comes with that experience as well. Suli, are you able to give an example of intergenerational trauma that comes out within Latinx culture? You know, colonization is one that impacts us in general within the Latinx community. We all have histories of coming from countries or being descendants of colonized spaces. That's inherent within who we are. And unfortunately, the story has been written and narrated from the perspective of the oppressor, of the colonizer. Therefore, it exacerbates the internalization of feeling less than because you don't hear the perspectives of the communities that represent you. When thinking about Latinx communities, most of Latin American countries are a mixture of white European descent, African countries that were enslaved, and then also the indigenous native people who were in the lands. That mixture and the experiences that each group brought into our existence, into who we are, it's going to be present in that. We need to be intentional in order to have the narratives that are different from the mainstream. With that, that also impacts internalized oppression in regards to immigration experiences, for instance. A lot of the students that I work with have, even if they're not immigrants themselves, have had close family members, either parents or grandparents, who migrated to the U.S. And then having that sense of, I need to prove to them that their sacrifice was worth it. And then when they do not get a good grade, they don't pass a class, it becomes so easy about something that is, that they're hurting family members, that they're hurting people who care for them versus me being human and not perfect. And it's really hard to be able to normalize that experience of you have the right, like everyone else, to not do 100% well all the time. But that doesn't feel real because the pressure is different. That's how I see some of those dynamics playing out in terms of the history of who we are culturally impacting the personal experiences of students these days based on personal experience at, actually at the Council Wellness Center too. Highlights the importance of like Latin American studies and being able to learn about colonization and our history and all of the positive things that we don't get to learn. Something that fascinates me too about intergenerational trauma is that, I mean, trauma in general, it changes our DNA. I learned about that and I was so shocked. I was like, oh my gosh, but it can also be healed. And that's where being able to go and access mental health professionals helps with that. Certainly it helps with that. Other things that people find helpful is connecting with their particular cultures and who are the healers that are identified within their cultures so that it creates a sense of congruence and wholeness that validates their experience rather than a sense of judgment of feeling that who I am doesn't belong in this space, feeling like an imposter in this space. I think whatever opportunities students or people from the Latinx community can find to feel 
validated, normalizing their experience in who we are, it's going to be movement towards healing that intergenerational trauma. Even talking about it, most times, this is something that is not talked about or acknowledged as something that directly impacts our emotional and mental health well-being. But then also, like you said, it's, it changes our genetics in a way that creates responses within our bodies to trauma that may be protective because our body does try their best to be able to provide support and protection for us in many ways. I think that even highlights the importance of Casita and Salita and just like why we're here and I think validates our work even more and that our spaces can be spaces of healing if we care for each other and really support each other versus fight each other. Well, you know, you say fight each other, and the reality is that that's how oppressive systems remain, right? If us within the marginalized groups are arguing with each other and not in solidarity, the more power it gives them. So we're conditioned to actually fight each other, and it requires more work for us not to. It's our disservice. And I think that's where that notion of having that conversation, as well as telling, you know, the other side of the the story, which is that it is easy to fall into the trap of looking at things from a deficit approach, you know, with like, yet that, you know, this happened, this happened, how am I going to overcome, but also recognizing the lessons that you learn from different things, and then recognizing and acknowledging the people, even if it may not be your family, because we all have different um, experiences with that, but people in your corner, whether that's Bianca coming in, or maybe it's, it's Zuli going to see her, just kind of taking stock and not invalidating yourself. Because if you're already not holding space for your own feelings, kind of like what Zuli was saying, how are you going to then help those that you also care about? And so just having that conversation, both with yourself, acknowledging and holding space for yourself, but then contributing and to the narrative overall, especially like, you know, UF is predominantly white institution. So like being in the same space, celebrating each other, having those talks and just supporting, I think would is overall really good. And that's with like, you know, HSA is really nice. And also some of the programming that we try to hold, it's just really trying to find community in order to kind of tap into some of those, like you said, kind of like already, we know, we know the family, we know the unit and having those connections and those networks kind of off that too. How would you, what is maybe a process for us if we want to support our friends or family who may be navigating their own mental health journeys, you know, how are, how can we be mindful of that and also hold space for them as well? I would say Jasmine, that the first thing that we need to do is model talking about our own feelings. Mm -hmm. It's hard to ask people to do something that we're not willing to do ourselves. And given the stigma that is so prevalent within our community, being able to model that, it's going to be critical. The other piece of it is once you open up about your own mental health care or concerns as a way to normalize that as part of our culture, that it does exist, that it, that it belongs within the Latinx culture. Then also follow up, check in with them about their care because it may take a lot for someone to be vulnerable and share mental health concerns that they're experiencing or even even that they are considering seeking help. Being able to model your own experience and then check in with them helps them feel validated that it was worth their vulnerability sharing 
part of themselves onto you. The other thing is that I was, as I was reflecting and reading in preparation for these, you know, I came across the idea of charlas and platicas and how that's part of how we interact with each other, you know, and when the chisme is shared and we know we're talking about the business of other people, right? And that's something that it's very typical and vivid within our culture that we normalize, rarely question it and, and laugh about it. And at the same time, if we can also see that and reframe it to say, you know what, when I'm talking about mental health concerns and emotional distress, is that I'm sharing chisme about myself with other people, rather than sharing the chisme from my neighbor, from my loved one, I'm sharing it about myself. So it's something that we already do within our culture. It's just that we give it another meaning and we do it in another way. But if we are able to integrate it as something we are doing intentionally as a way to seek support, then we give it meaning in a different way. And we're still adhering to cultural practices that are important for us and that make us different as a culture. I feel that that can be very empowering too. I know that there's some students who are like, oh yeah, I have my counseling. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so proud of you. You're so brave. And like, thank you for sharing, you know? I read something too that sometimes some people are going to counseling because of the people in their lives who won't go. And they're having to deal with them and just kind of figure that out. And I think that sometimes especially within our culture and like our older generations, there are people who are blocked to the idea of even going. And sometimes the way to help you deal with them or with whatever situation is for you to then seek help on how to be able to navigate and then cope with that person who is in your life. Which I think if you try to force somebody to go, like I I don't think that that'll be a good outcome because it's not them kind of acknowledging that something is happening. Yeah, that's a very important point, which relates to generational trauma. It may be that this person is the one that is showing most of the mental health concerns externally. It doesn't mean that I'm not impacted by that. And what you're saying is an example of that. If I'm feeling distressed because I'm seeing the concern of this person who would not seek help, then I'm seeking help for me to be able to support them. And that's something that it's also very common that I experience in working with students that sometimes the way that they present themselves is to talk about concerns that they have for loved ones instead of themselves. And at the same time in counseling, what we can do is support you as an individual because we don't have any control over the other person. We have control over exploring and better understanding how you respond to the person in question. And if you anticipate that the person is not gonna make these changes and you want that person to be in your life, then what are the things that you need to be intentional about in order to be present for them and for them to be present in your life? That's how the counseling will look in in a situation like that. Understanding the impact of that person and then What are the things that you can do realistically to change in how you interact with them in order to have them in your life and for them to be in your life? Oh, great. And I think very important topics. Thank you, Zuli, for for joining us and for dropping a lot of knowledge. I think we touched on a lot of different things. 
that we could all probably think of think about a little bit more to our listeners i hope you learned something today i know i did for sure with some connections and i also hope that you go on to take some time for you julie it was a pleasure as always to be able to talk with you today Thank you for having me. I'm, I feel very honored about having the opportunity to be here. And as closing, I just wanted to share some of the resources that we have at the Center to support Latinx students and the fact that we currently have three counselors and psychologists who self-identify within the Latinx community and then another counselor who's joining us in August. So we would have about four. We offer different groups that are helpful for Latinx students, like Como Estas, which is one that I co-facilitate in Spanish. And then we also have a first-generation college students group, which a lot of Latinx students have taken advantage of. We also acknowledge how oppression and discrimination also impacts our well-being. And for that, we have what we call Best Allyship Movement, which is an online training to introduce people to multicultural ideas identities, what is privilege, what is oppression and the impact that it has on others, and then understanding what is allyship and the active actions that are needed to be part of that. We also have a Cognito online training, which is a training that shows how to support people who are in distress. Check out our website for these and many other services that we offer to support students. Feel free to check us out and learn more on how to take care of yourself and support your loved ones. Thank you, Zuli. Blew my mind. Keep on the lookout on our Instagram and our social media because we will be collaborating very soon on I think, some really cool topics. And with that, thank you for joining us for another episode. Thank you to Zuli and make sure to tune in next week for our next episode. Have a good one, y'all. Bye.